0: to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Then the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Thank you. Alright, so, just to let you know what we're talking about, talking about today, on our passage, uh, marriage, divorce, singleness, sex. Um, So, uh, get all of your uncomfortableness out now, breathe in, and breathe out. Uh, So, that's what we're talking about observations as you hear that text, as you read it along with the voice that was reading it. The Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus in his own words again. Yep. So, opposition from the Pharisees is continuing to get stronger, so they're like hey, um, how about you talk about divorce? Um, Divorce is already, by nature, filled with conflict. So let's get Jesus to talk about it, and then uh, hopefully people won't like him anymore, right? Any other observations, anything that stood out to you? Um, so what did Jesus say happens there was something about he was reading from basically quoting Genesis um, he talked about marriage how that works this is in um, verse, starting in verse 4 I think it's 4 through uh 6 male and female. Okay. So we've got male. We've got female. God made that arrangement. Cool. Two will become one plush. Okay. Okay. How does that happen? Marriage. What has to happen before this? this guy, oh man, there's father and mother, and he has to leave, and then be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now the question, um, what is that? leave her mother and father too. um or just the, or just the man uh, let me tell you it'd be really awkward if she didn't leave too um there are just certain things that you don't want your in-laws around for um i told you that this would be about marriage divorce singleness yep. and sex so talking about two of those uh go ahead jackson Okay. What do you mean? So like, they're one. So like, uh, they're like, uh, <laughs> uh. It's okay. <laughs> uh, uh. So, so we can finish for me. Jack. Can <laughs> no. I thought you had your hand up. No. Is this like super aqua taco or something? I think I just I, I think okay. I can I think he's trying For to say flash. like how the Trinity they're all one but separate. That's yeah. how it is yeah. Okay, yeah. So you're you're describing what it's like. Obviously they don't become like conjoined twins. Yeah. Right? Um and they don't like they don't cease to have their own personalities where it's like you are literally talking to Jess right now. Because we're one flesh. That's not how it works. We maintain our personalities, but there is this one flesh union. So I appreciate that you're maintaining, like the Trinity, there's distinct persons within the Trinity, yet there's unity within this one flesh union. Jack? Because they're, I'm cheating here because I was here at first service. Okay. They're whole by themselves. Yes, yep. But they come together as two to make one. Yeah, and that's, again, like, like the Trinity. You know, none of them, it's not like, um, you know, Jesus is 33% God, and the Father is 33% God, and the Holy Spirit's 33.3, you know, like, it's not like that, you know, they're, they're each 100%, you know, this person, and then she's 100% her person, and when you put them together, one flesh, you know, it's not 200%, it's still 100%, it's just different. Um, okay. One flesh. What is it? Bless you. Marriage. So we're talking about marriage when we say this. Yeah? Sure. Okay. What is marriage? Gotcha. Uh, Where you love someone that you married, your loved one. Okay. The one you've been dating for a long time. Or not long. Right. Two. You know, that can happen. Different cultures are like, Let's just get to this, you know. Um, Some marriages don't even give you a choice. Yeah, I was gonna say, with the love part, um, what about arranged marriages, like mom and dad, like societies and cultures that are like, mom and dad are going to choose your wife, or you know, vice versa, um, is love required in order for it to be a marriage Devin? Getting the government involved with your relationship. Oh, the government. Um, no. Is the government required? Could, could it be just a question. You know um, Could it be that you uh, go to a um, different country and you get married, and their laws are a little bit different, so when you come back to the states, the states don't legally recognize your marriage. Are you still married? Just a question to ask, Adam. How did they get married in like biblical times? Yeah, did they kind of just say, "How did
1: it work?" Good question.
0: Official papers. I I don't think there would have been official papers, um, though Moses apparently says write a certificate of divorce, so there's paper that way. Um, but I I don't know if there was a paper, you know, signed copy marriage license, you know, back then. Maybe used to when they actually like left their father that's when it happened. Like, okay. Um, so he leaves cuz they'd only break away for that. Okay. Like, otherwise they'd stay in the house. Yeah. So he leaves. They get married, but what is, what is that thing? How do how do you get married? There's a ceremony. Yeah. Oh gosh, I've eaten cake with a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I'm not Mormon, so I don't think. I hope that's not. No, it's hard for me. Oh, okay, I thought it. The mechanics of this is that you it's know. Uh, on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah. Huh? A union. What do you mean? Like coming together. We're all using just the same words over and over again, right? Yeah. It's it's union. It's united. It's one flesh. It's marriage. What is that? Like a family. Like could become a family. Okay, so that is a part of this, probably, right? It's like children happen. Um, they don't just happen, but I'm not going to give you that talk because um, I'm assuming you, even the homeschoolers, have had that. Um, so, um, but children come out of this, right? Um. And to be fair, I think this all provide this offshoot. I mean, yeah, this is this is marriage. Um, so spend a little bit more time on this aspect. Oh, go ahead. Do they have to come together under God? Because like the priest always says, with the power invested me, like the state and God or whatever. Yeah. I skip the state part personally. I don't like bringing it in. It is true that they're legally married by the state, but I don't have to say it because nobody cares.
1: <laughs>
0: state of Minnesota, nobody cares. Okay, you're so lame. Oh my gosh, get out of my wedding. I didn't even invite you. Exactly. Um, Thank yeah. you. Okay. Um, <laughs> so there's a ceremony involved. Um, there's, okay, in the text um, have not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate so how did this happen? God fused them together? Yeah. Anybody find that a little weird? No. No? Okay. That's fine. I'll just keep I moving um, God fused them together. Yeah. Because um, I think there's a couple different ways of, of viewing this. Um, is one that well, if you have sex with somebody, then you're married to him, Or that's how marriage happens. No, um, it wouldn't. Thank you. No. Um, but that's how some people view this, is that um, when you are, how this one fleshness happens is that two people have sex, and then that's how one flesh happens. Which kind of makes sense. You know, why people would Think that. Um, And even Paul says something in 1 Corinthians 6 to the effect that um, you are united to Christ. He's he's telling men not to um, have sex with prostitutes. Okay. Hopefully this doesn't make anybody feel awkward. Um, But (laughs) he's telling men not to have sex with prostitutes. He says, You're united with Christ. Should I then, as a member of Christ, go and become united to a prostitute? By no means. So Paul seems to make some kind of reference to this one flesh union and saying it would be wrong for someone who's a member of Christ to then become a member of a prostitute that way. Um, So some people are like, well, how marriage happens is, yeah, there's the ceremony, but then, you know, two people, they have sex, and that's really the one flesh union. Anya, you say that's not how it goes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um why do you say that because then cheating wouldn't matter that much you'd just be marrying to someone else fair um it's it's just still would be adultery right yes and no well i mean i guess it's two ways Abraham had more than one wife. Exactly. Jacob had more than one wife. Well, and um, keep in mind, not all of them were wives. Exactly. Some were concubines, which... like. That's a whole other problem. Why don't you just go... moving oh, on? Just be married. I don't see what the difference is at this point. Um, so, when it comes to marriage and sexuality then, I think the ideal is that... Um, obviously you 'd be intimate um with this one only right fair Christian ideal for marriage you don 't get married and then go that was fun um you know and then start seeing other people um, some people do yeah, it is weird um <laughs> but then there's, I mean, there's the less ideal, you know, of sexuality leading to sin. Um... Do you want to talk about children before we you talk about that, Adam? How come, like, all day kings had, like, a bunch of concubines, and, like, <sighs> God didn't seem to care that much? Um, as to why God didn't care that much, um... For one, um, polygamy is that kind of the question. I guess. Okay. Um, why didn't God care about polygamy? Um, in those days, it wasn't like women could just go to the office and make a living for themselves. Um, men were stronger, and I mean, still kind of are. Sorry. Um, you know, I will arm wrestle you if you want, but. Um, Uh, men typically caused survival to happen a lot better. And since there was less men and more women, then it's like women kind of needed to be married to someone. Um, So it's kind of like a survival thing back then. But what about Um, the fact that the concubines weren't technically married? Yeah, I think that was sinful. Um, Like, especially Solomon. Because are you thinking about Solomon? Partially, yeah. Okay. Because, this, this, I mean, according to scripture, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A thousand women. Mm-hmm. Like, he could be with a different one every night for almost three years, mm-hmm. you know? Like, imagine how many children that you'd have and how many birthdays he must have missed. What a horrible dad. Um, but, like, in the Old Testament, in, I think it's in Deuteronomy... Um, Moses is telling the people of Israel, eventually you're going to get a king for yourself. What this king can't do is acquire lots of wealth, lots of horses, and lots of women. What did Solomon do? All, All of those things. So scripture isn't silent, actually, um, on those issues because we see that these guys shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. As well as, if you look at, uh, I think it's Genesis 4, Um, the genealogy of Cain, Um, his children, his line, which is, I think, um, symbolic for the line of the serpent um, that's supposed to try and kill the seed of the woman who's going to be the Messiah, essentially. Um, He's the one, a descendant, Lamech, of Cain is the first one to take two wives. And so, from the very beginning, polygamy and concubines and stuff like that is, it's... um, Viewed as as something less than ideal, and associated with the sinful, even um, and especially too. I mean, look at Abraham and Hagar. Um, that was not a great situation. Um, when Esau takes two wives for himself, that's not a great situation. Um, and it's just constantly polygamy and concubineship or whatever you call that. It. It's just. Bad in, in the Old Testament, so I don't think there was a whole lot of need for God to make comment on and say, "Hey, this is bad," because the narratives were showing that this was a bad thing. Okay. Answers. Okay. You want to talk about kids or keep talking about this? Either. Sure. One. Kids. Kids. Okay. Perfect. Um, one one flesh. I say children. You said family, right? Um, one plus one equals. One. Yeah. Um, so no, case, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, one plus one would equal two, right? But in this case, in this case it would be one plus one equals at least three. right? Yeah. How can one plus one equal three?: If you can't do math,.: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How could one plus one equal three?. Do you know? Kind of right here. One plus one shows up. Mother father, child. Right? 1 plus 1 child. Right? So what is one what is one flesh? Well, yes, it's marriage. It's also you. Okay? You are a representation, a symbol of the one flesh union. Okay? You tracking with me? You picking up what I'm throwing down? You scooping what I'm pooping? Perfect. You are a representation of the one-flesh union of your parents. So, the ideal, obviously, would be, and this is how it works out, is that um, parents are together. Right? That's how it should be. Um... When your parents are together, how does that affect you? If you're a representation of their one-flesh union? If your parents are together and you are a representation of their one-flesh union, how are things for you? Good. Yes you are together. I mean integrated, not like, um, like, I got it all together, this is fine, because, you know, there's plenty of people who have their parents together, and that's not the case. Um, But integrated, which is different. What would be the less than ideal for this? Yes. So, if... If your parents split, what happens to you? You get two Christmases. It's <laughs> true. You split. You split. Um, people have talked about with divorce. Um, that divorce is like getting gum out of carpet. Um, it's, yeah. Um, how easy do you think getting gum out of carpet would be? Throw it the carpet. So from what I've read, uh, you have to like... Breeze the gum and like pick pieces of the gum off like one by one by one by one by one by one by one. Um, takes a very long time and there's probably always a little bit of gum left but you know it's passable at the end of the day right Um, people say that that's what divorce is like is that you have you know one person is like the gum and you're the carpet and you know the gum together and that's great but then you gotta get it out and you know there's still gonna be like parts and pain and that kind of stuff but you can get them out um with that's just with the parents, but with you, um it's not like gum out of carpet, it's like how do I get this perfectly woven together piece of carpet out of itself? Doesn't really work. Um so when just necessarily if if there is divorce Um, then there's a tearing of you. Um, So if you've... Typically how this works is that if you've gone through your parents' divorce earlier in life, it's harder. The older that you get, it's easier, but there's still damage no matter what. Um, And obviously this isn't like directly out of our passage today. It's not like Jesus is saying, hey, let me tell you what happens to your kids. Um, but I've done research on this. I myself, my parents are divorced. Um, so in trying to figure out what's going on with me, how, how does my life work in relation to this, um, here's, here's some of the things that I've found. Um, how much stuff are you because of it, Brad? Very messed up. Okay. Um, so for one, let me just tell you um, some of the results of this. Sense of home. Um, is torn uh, so part of this is because there was a home before divorce but then after the divorce there isn't a home because it's between mom's house and dad's house so especially if you're going back and forth this is just how this works it's like your sense of home when people say home it's like mmm, how does that work and for me how this has kind of played out is that um, my sense of home I don't really care about my surroundings time. So if you've ever been around my desk, um, it's like I don't really care about my surroundings that much. So things get dirty because I I don't really live there because I have no sense of home. I'm a a wanderer, a nomad, that kind of thing. So sense of home gets really messed up. Um, Another thing is um, there's an expectation of abandonment, so that's fun. Um, so if you have the people in your life who are supposed to love you the most, um, leave, um, what are other relationships going to look like later in life? Um, and you know, just for those of you who haven't gone through this yourself, if you know people who have gone through this, and there's a lot, this might be some of what they're dealing with. So, there's kind of an expectation of, like, okay, mom and dad left, or at least mom did, or at least dad did in some capacity. Um, What hope could I have when I get married for that not happening? You know? It's like there's this generational sin and stuff like that. I mean, it's like I'm probably going to be abandoned by whoever I love, you know? So then it's like, well, it might be easier just not to do that.
1: Um,
0: There's also the possibility of emotional abuse. Um, so I'll say a word about that quick. Oftentimes when parents get divorced, this is like the traumatic event for somebody in their, in their childhood. Um, and typically you have to grow up faster in order to meet the challenge of that trauma. Um, so for me, I'm 15, my parents are getting divorced. Um, and it's like, well, uh, mom's having a tough time with it. So I'm gonna be her emotional support for my mom. Yep. My, my mom and dad have been married for 21 years. Um, I'm 15, giving advice to my mom. Yep. It's not great, um, that's actually very bad. Um, and what it can tend to do is it actually, her one is called parentification, it's, um, it is a form of emo- emotional abuse, but... Um, Something that a result of that can be that, well, you kind of resent your parents for like stealing your childhood from you and causing you to grow up too fast. Well, that's dark. You know, yeah, no, and, and then this gets worse too as you grow up because if your childhood has been stolen from you, what are what are you looking like, looking for um, for the rest of your life? Childhood and your adulthood. Yeah, it's messed up. So. If I didn't have the chance of having a childhood because it was stolen from my parents, I'm going to resent my parents and I'm going to act like a child when I finally get the chance to do what I want to do. Which delays the whole growing up process because you're still looking for childhood memories and joy in your adult years. Not great. Um, So if you're going through that, honestly, you just have to give it up. Um, You have to let your childhood be what it was and let it die and grow up. Um, Or become a youth pastor, one of (laughs) (laughs) Let's not psychoanalyze me. (laughs) I will do my own psychoanalyzing of myself. Thank you. A student observation, however. Um, Or a clown. You you know, another one. Um, This is probably the worst part. Um, Loved um, but not fully. Um, most of the time when parents get divorced, it's, you know, they have the talk with you and it's like, Hey, you know, we still love you. Not that talk. Um, (laughs) It's like, Hey, we still love you. You know, it's just mom and dad have a disagreement and stuff like that. And they try to keep it very much like on their level of like, yeah, this is just something that's going on with me and dad, you know, or me and mom, like, it's just, it's just us, it's fine. You know, it's nothing to do with you. It's not your fault, nothing like that. And they try to kind of leave you out of it most of the time if they try to do it as well. Um, but <clears throat> the message that inevitably gets communicated is that, yes, you are loved, but not fully. And why I say that is because you are a representation of the one flesh union between you and your parents. Guess what? You are your mom and dad. Yep. Like... There are parts of you that are totally your mom. And there are parts of you that are totally your dad. And then there's this kind of like weird in the middle of like the uniqueness that God has made you. Um, but mostly you are parts of your mom or your dad. So then what happens if mom says, I can't stand your dad? We have irreconcilable differences. There's part of you that your mom loves. Because that's her. But there's part of you that your mom has irreconcilable differences with. It's like, there's a part of you that I can't love. Because I can't love it in your dad. Or vice versa. So that's not great, obviously. Is that there's an alienation between you and your parents then. Because you cannot ever be fully you with them. Um, and just to let you know what happened with me, um, I resented my mom for several of these reasons for a while. So I started acting like my dad around my mom because I'm like, you as punishment are not going to be allowed to see the parts of me that you mostly agree with. Instead, I'm going to be way more like my dad and distance myself. So if, if you've gone through, um, If you're a child of divorce, these are some of the things that you might go through. I'm going to let you know, if this is you, that this is probably going to be some of the stuff that you deal with for the rest of your life. Of unpacking some of the stuff of how did my parents' divorce affect me. And I I mean, there's a a really good book um, called Between Two Worlds. This is where some of this is coming from. I've tried to read it and I can get like a chapter at a time. Because it's like, if I don't know if you've ever experienced where it's like reading something or hearing something is super cathartic and you're like, oh my gosh, this is really cleansing, but really heavy um, and kind of depressing. That's that book um, for me. So, um, but try to unpack it because the thing is, this is going to affect every relationship in your life. Um, so if, if any of your parents are, are divorced and, and they want to talk to me, it's like I, I, it doesn't matter to me what the circumstances of your divorce are. Uh, was it's mostly just like this? Is, this is how it's affecting your kids. Um, there's there's going to be sin and hurt involved in this. Um, <clears throat> so that's children and the effects that divorce has on children. And and again, for those of you who this isn't the case for, know that some of your friends um, are going this going through this, and as well that you are a representation of your parents' one flesh union. Um, might be helpful to kind of view life differently a little bit. Um, So sexuality and sin, huh? I need a little bit more of this. Um. So one flesh, marriage. Um, What happens in this moment is... During that ceremony, when the vows are being spoken, God does it work. causes two to become one. Um, I don't believe that sex is what causes someone to be married. Because if that were the case, paraplegics who cannot have sex are by definition just not married. They might do a ceremony, but they're not married. And I don't think that that's how marriage works. I think it's much more about commitment and the vows and God doing work than any physical act that we can do. Um, All right, just gonna throw away some of my notes and thinking, I'm just gonna jump right into this. Um, There is a uh, teaching, I guess, about um, Christianity and dating that goes something like this. Um, Do dating God's way. Have you heard anything like that ever before? Okay, do dating God's way. Anybody know how to do dating God's way? I'm going to give the tenets of this. Jack? With the intent to be married. Yeah, so you date with the intent to be married, right? So you're not just having fun, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, what else? How would you do dating God's way? Like you're both like working towards being united together with- Okay, so there's the there's a spiritual aspect to it where it's like, okay, God's at the center of our relationship. Okay, good. What else? So we got, we're dating for the intent of marriage. We're not just having fun, not knowing where this is going. We're also having where God is at the center of this relationship, even a dating relationship. What else? How do you do dating God's way? You take dating seriously. Okay, take it seriously. Partly with that thing of like, it's not just for fun. This is... We're doing this to get married if we're if we're doing this at all, right? What about the physical aspect of this? Because we're avoiding that right now, probably because it's awkward. Jackson. Premarital sex is bad. Premarital sex is bad. Don't do it. Okay, your youth pastor's not gonna say any different. But that's a big part of it, right? Is like don't go too far. Big part of this. Boundaries. Boundaries. You should be a virgin when you get married, right? Why are you doing it? Doing it this way. What will happen if you do it this way? Why do dating God's way? Because it turns out better, it turns out better right? So, like, when you get married, finally then your marriage will be better because you don't have all this sexual sin and baggage coming into your marriage, right? So, I mean, things are just going to be better, you know, and you're going to have crazy good sex, you know, that's going to be a part of it. So, I, I'm just saying, this is Christianity's messaging around sex in America. is like, instead of telling young people, sex is really bad, you probably don't want to do it, it's not that good. Um, what people have done instead has said, "Sex is awesome. I want you to have lots of sex. Sex is great, but I want you to do it in God's way, so that when you get married, you have all the sex you that you want. It's going to be fantastic." Unless you have a question. I have a statement. It's a statement. Um, um, I've heard from people like that, like when, like they have premarital sex they kind of, like, lose their identity and they don't really know who they are anymore. Yeah. Like, instead and sort of, like, dating. Yeah. So that's a part of this conversation, too. Um, so just to let you know, okay, all the things you talked about, dating seriously, it's for marriage, um, you know, keeping God at the center, uh, staying pure, don't crossing boundaries, you know, make sure you maintain your virginity, all that kind of stuff, is so that things go better for you when you get married, then you have a great marriage. The relationship's great. Uh, you have awesome sex. If you want to have lots of kids, God's just going to bless you, you know. Um, and then there's this other side of it with the sexual sin, right? That gets talked about as well. Of like, and, and this is an analogy that has actually happened at youth groups, and I hope it hasn't happened here. But this has actually happened, where um, a youth pastor will have a rose, okay, the, like a flower, okay. And um, they'll pass this rose throughout the entire youth group. And the youth pastor is doing his speech, and he's like, okay, I want you to pass this rose everywhere around here, you know, and, and you know, smell it and feel it and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, then somebody handed it to me at the end. It gets handed to him, and at the beginning, this rose was pristine and beautiful. And then he gets the rose, and imagine what it looks like. What does it look like? Yeah, petals are like, and it's you know, like the rose, like it was like this before, and I was like, you know, like, um, that looks so great, and then and then with a crescendo, the youth pastor says, now who'd want this? And the analogy is that if this is how you treat your sexuality and you're just sleeping with whoever, um, then there are parts of you that are getting. Like, torn off. Like, parts of your soul are, like, being littered with every sexual partner that you've had. And then by the end of it, it's like, who would want this? Okay, listen to me. Jesus wants that rose. I, everything that we just talked about, about doing, dating's God, doing dating God's way so that when you get married, it's better. I abhor that. That is a false gospel. Everything that I just told you. You know, being serious about your dating and putting God at the center and making sure you maintain all these boundaries so that when you get married, you have an awesome marriage with lots of sex, lots of babies, and a great relationship. That is a false gospel it's from the pit of hell. Because listen to how this goes. You do all this so that you have a great marriage and lots of sex and lots of kids? So, okay, you're telling me that the goal of following Jesus and submitting my sexuality to him is so that I can please myself in marriage? You're telling me that the guy that I follow who is all about self-denial and letting himself be killed in a horribly torturous, excruciating way, if I follow him, I get what I want? And I get to please myself and my wife gets to be my own porn star? Let me tell you, that is such a lie. And, and then, here's the thing, too. You've got people in the church who are not virgins. If that makes you uncomfortable, <laughs> there are married people who are obviously not virgins. Okay? They shouldn't be. We have services. I mean, <laughs> lots of non-virgins in this church, okay? Because there's lots of kids. There are unmarried non-virgins people who have had sex before marriage. Are they any less of a person? According to that messaging, yes. Because parts of their soul have been left behind with every sexual partner that they've had. Your identity is not in your sex, and your purity is not in your sex. When Jesus comes and he sacrifices himself on the cross... He makes us clean. His righteousness and his purity becomes ours. So if you know someone who is not a virgin and they struggle with this, guess what? The gospel's for them. It's not like the gospel's for their forgiveness and then their sexual life is this whole other thing. It's like, no, the gospel is for their whole life. And, and, you know, if you struggle with pornography, guess what? Jesus is your purity. Not in what you do or how many days you've gone without. And another thing is, I mean, how how do you deal with this if you say, like, virginity is like the goal. You need to be intimate with one person only and then someone gets raped. Somebody's abused. Like, you can't backpedal that message and all of a sudden be like, oh, but God gave a sacred purity. It's not how this works. So instead of, okay, one last, that messaging completely excludes anybody who's struggling with gender dysphoria or same sex attraction. (laughs) Because if you say, okay, you got to do dating God's way. And then, uh, if you do dating God's way, then you're going to get married and you're going to have all that you want. Um, (laughs) if somebody goes, hey, um, I'm gay, (laughs) pretty sure the church doesn't want me to get married. So then why should I do dating in purity God's way? And there's no answer. So, a few things. If your sexuality in however way, and by the way, we are all sexually sinners and broken. So if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I haven't done any of that stuff, so this conversation is for somebody else. No, um, Jesus says in Matthew 5 that anyone who's looked at somebody with lust has already committed adultery. So even if you made it to your marriage as a virgin, um, you're still a sexual sinner, still broken. Okay. So I want you to know a few things with this then is that, like I said, Jesus is your purity. You don't stand condemned by God because of your sexual sin. It is no worse than all of your other sins. If Jesus can forgive your anger, he can forgive your lust. If Jesus can forgive uh, your pride, he can forgive uh, a mistake, a one-night stand. Jesus is your purity. Jesus will judge the abuser. Okay, so if you've gone through this in your life, I mean, this is more and more in our culture where someone's abused somebody else. Jesus sees the sin and the abuse and will not just forget about it. Okay, and girls, you need to know this. Um, You are not responsible for how other people treat you sexually. Very often in the church, we're like, you need to be modest. You need to make sure that you're not leading anybody on. You need to do all this. You are not the guardians of sexuality. Like, if somehow... A guy comes on to you that it's your fault. No. That guy needs to own his own sin, and Jesus will punish him for it. Unless there's repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, So you need to know, like this, you are not, men need to be responsible for their own actions, their own sinful hearts. And, you know, do what your parents tell you. I'm not saying, you know, just do whatever you want, but I'm saying if this ever happens to you, there's going to be shame that comes with that anyway. I don't want you to feel ashamed like somehow this was your fault. It's not. And Jesus sees it and Jesus will bring righteousness and justice. Last thing, sex and marriage does not equal happiness. Um, it it is not necessary for you to be married and have sex in order for you to be happy. You're not missing out on much, let me be honest. Um, I've been married uh, six years this year. After our wedding, I was like, yeah, I can legitimately see how people can go their whole lives without getting married. It, it, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm not living without this. Like, um, you're married to a sinner. I don't know if you know that. Um, but like, it's tough a lot of the times to be married. And, and with this too, I guess a word of caution would be often the way that we talk about this is like, you need to be pure until you get married. That's really bad messaging you need to be pure until you get married, and then you know, you can just express yourself sexually on your spouse like as much as you want. Um, for one, that doesn't happen. And for two, if you're telling people that they need to be pure until they get married, they're going to get married and stop being pure. Um, so you've you got to be pure after marriage. You've got to submit your sexual life and ethics to Jesus even after you get married. It's not like you just get what you want. And and sex and marriage does not equal happiness. So for people, like when I hear people say um, I'm same-sex attracted, what do I do? Uh, It's like, listen to what Jesus says in this passage. This is just nuts. (laughs) The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to be married. Because Jesus just said that, like, these two have to be together and it's kind of sinful in some kind of way. No matter what, there's sin involved in divorce. And the disciples are like, well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. And Jesus says, not everyone can receive this thing, but only to those whom it's given. He just says, look, you're saying it's better to be single. Not everybody could receive that saying, but only to whom it's given. So if you're like, "Um, I know someone who's same-sex attracted, or I I myself am same-sex attracted, and it's like, marriage isn't really a possibility for me because of this, then Jesus is like, it's not better to be married and have sex. It's actually a gift to be single. You know, in the early church, the heroes of the church were not those who were married. And and Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 7, He's like, if you have to get married, do it. You're not sinning if you're getting married. not saying that. But he's like, if you can be single, though, man, if you're single, you're just concerned about one thing. How do I please the Lord? If you're married, you're concerned about how do I please the Lord, but also how do I please my spouse? And your interests are divided. Paul's like, I'd rather have all of your interests just in how do I please Jesus. You realize... The two, like, biggest names in Christianity weren't married. Jesus. He's m- married today, his church. Um, and Paul. And, and I think about this sometimes. Y'all, if I weren't married, like, imagine how much I could hang out with you guys all the time. because I don't have a wife and kids to go home to, you know? Like, I'd just be, like, sleeping on your couch somewhere. Like, you don't need, like I'm just constantly around Yeah, a little creepy. Girls, I wouldn't do that. But like guys, you know. <laughs> um, but sex and marriage does not equal happiness. Sexual flourishing is not equal to being married and having sex. Sexual flourishing is found only in submission to Jesus. And if you have to be single and there's this desire for companionship and pleasure through sex, that's a good thing. But if you've been given the gift of singleness, that desire is going to be fulfilled somehow and so much better in God's presence in heaven. There is no desire that God has given us that is inherently evil. It only gets twisted in different ways. But someday it will be redeemed and brought to its full. Okay, I got to wrap up. So um, I'm going to pray. But if you have questions about anything that we've talked about, uh, if you've got anything that you need help with, let me know. I'd love to talk to you. Um, if it's like, I got to get going, but, um, like I want to talk about this. I don't want to let this sit. Um, if I don't have your number, we'll exchange numbers and we'll schedule time to meet. Um, this is heavy stuff and our culture is talking about it a lot and we're going through a lot of it ourselves. So, um, don't leave this as an opportunity. Don't walk away from this opportunity to talk to somebody. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, that you are our ultimate joy, and that you promise um, that if we follow you, there's wholeness in that. that yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's trials, there's being sinned against and sinning against others, but there's forgiveness and there's fullness in you. And that regardless of what our temptations are, whether it's towards anger, whether it's towards lust, whether it's same-sex attraction, whether it's gender dysphoria, whatever our brokenness and our sin is, that you love us, that you've covered us with your blood that you've promised to be fullness of joy for us and that you see the ways that we've been sinned against and you care and you will bring justice. As you said a few chapters earlier, if any of, anyone causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better for that person to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. You care about how we've been sinned against. And we thank you that you've taken our sin onto yourself and that there's a promise that you will make someday all things new. We look forward to that day. Help us in the meantime to submit our desires to you, to seek in our own lives if it's better for us to be single or if we need that gift of marriage. Help us to discern our own hearts and to trust you no matter what the answers are and no matter what our experience tells us. Help us to follow you. Give us grace to do that. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.